You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode 23 of the Dogaritaville podcast. Today we are talking about crate training and drinking peach-themed margaritas. Hi, Boogie! Boogie's so mean. Did you see him? (laughs) He has a mean little face. He is mean. Just now I leaned down and I was like, I said hi. And the second you acknowledge him, his like whole body stiffens and he glares at you and then skulks (laughs) out of the room. (laughs) Like, you're the one that came in here, bro. You have the whole house, you little dick. All right. Um, for every episode, we pick a theme for our margaritas and each do our own take on it. We post the recipes on Instagram for you to try. And we're always looking for new ideas if you have one for either episodes or margaritas. So for our first segment today, we are going to do surprise, surprise, a rant. I don't think we're going to get any more episodes that don't have one, at least one rant. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot going on, Okay. Yeah, it's just our jam. I'm sorry. This is who you're listening to, okay? That's your fault. We um, are. Okay, so Lara is going to produce today's rant for us, and her rant is about guarantees in dog training. Yeah, so I had a phone consult with a new client, and it was like 30 minutes. We went back and forth. It was good, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so she texts me like two days later, let me find the text so I can say exactly what it said. Um, well, while you're finding it, I just have to tell you. Um, so I have three puppies right now, and they've been here. Oof. This is their third day. And their, like, witching hour is usually right around this time, like, when they all kind of go crazy. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, is my gosh. Is that why Scott- you're hiding in the basement? Well, no. I was like, Scott's going to have to watch them and blah, 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 you know. And um, then they had their witching hour about an hour and a half ago. And I was like... Scott is going to walk into that room and all three of them are going to pass out. And he just sent me a photo of all three of them passed out. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) That's amazing. So she texted me a couple days later and said, I was just wondering if there's anything guaranteed from the training. Which is like a normal question that I I get. Not frequently, but like not uncommon. Um, Because a lot of trainers market guarantees. Which is fucking bananas. <laughs> yeah. I so, I get the why, like why you'd want to do that, because people want them. Like people yeah. want guarantees. Like it's a fucking car stereo. Yeah. So I could go on about this for like the rest of my life, but the short version is that dogs are not robots and we cannot guarantee anything ever. Obviously, our whole job is based on conditioning. There's a lot to be said for conditioning, but you still can't guarantee it. They're animals. I know that's shocking to most of you. (laughs) They are fucking animals. You cannot guarantee their behavior. And if a trainer is giving you any sort of guarantee, I'd be willing to bet my life. You little fuckers. (laughs) These two will not play with each other until right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a theme. I hate my life. Uh, um, If a trainer is giving you a guarantee, I'd be willing to bet my life that they're a shock jock, which is basically a term that just means they know how to use a shock collar and they're not an actual trainer. 
Um, and there are so many of them. <laughs> there, Don't get me wrong. There are trainers that utilize shock collars unnecessarily and poorly, but that's not a shock jock. A shock jock is literally someone that learns how to use a remote collar and then starts calling themselves a trainer subsequently. Like... <laughs> And every single one of them has their own board and train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my favorite example of that is uh, a local guy who was like uh, the local pit bull advocate. And he had trained his dogs through Sit Means Sit, which if you're not familiar, is just a national company that trains shot collars, essentially. And he had trained his personal dogs through Sit Means Sit. So he subsequently like learned how to use a shot collar. And then started, like, offering people training. <laughs> that is a shock job. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anybody that offers you a guarantee doesn't know what they're talking about. And please run. Just just run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good trainer is going to be moving at the pace of your dog, whether they're teaching a behavior, like obedience or whatever, or helping the dog overcome a fear, like behavior modification. So it could, it should all be happening at the dog's pace, which means that there's communication happening between the dog and the handlers. And so, like, Laura and I, like, we as trainers are going to be like, hey, this is what I want. Are you up for it? And the dog has a little bit of agency to be like, no, not yet. And then we can slow down or break things down more or whatever. So a timeline with guaranteed outcomes is damn near impossible if there's any sort of communication happening with the dog or any consideration for the dog's needs or learning style or whatever. And so the way that I see it, the only way to get a guaranteed outcome on a guaranteed timeline is to shape behavior through intimidation or punishment, which Laura and I would agree is extremely poor training. And if we agree on something, I think that that means in the dictionary it's, it's that it's very correct. True. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a really great way to put it and something that I have a hard time kind of explaining to clients because similarly, like the the client that asked me if there was a guarantee, a lot of the times people are like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't, I've, I've never met your dog. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, your dog tells me where we're at and what we're going to do. So I can, I mean, I can give you a basic rundown of like, oh, if she's fearful, we'll do this and that. But like, ultimately, your dog is dictating what's happening. And the only way to get around that is to use things like shock collars, which important to remind everyone I'm not opposed to them. But when you use them in this form, where you're using it as a guarantee of a dog's behavior... It's bullshit. Like, you can't you can't do that. <laughs> That's not what they're for. That's not what they're designed for. Well, it might be a little bit what they're designed for. I don't really know that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. You, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, like, I'm trying to, like, reframe it in another way just so we explain it really well for all the different kinds of listeners that we might have. But basically, a good trainer is going to shape behavior. So we're going to teach the dog, like, what to do. And if you're getting guarantees in training, you're probably getting guarantees of what the dog is not going to do. Like, we're only going to show the dog what it can't do or shouldn't do, which means that we're going to be teaching through punishment alone. And so if you're getting a guarantee, it's probably your dog won't be barking at things or your dog won't jump on the furniture anymore or, you know, something like that. But it's not going to be like, your dog will um, walk nicely, focus on you. You know what I mean? Like, we're not shaping behavior, we're stopping behavior. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, actually. I didn't think about it like that. Because, yeah, I mean, a shot collar is going to work for every dog. Like, that's – and 
for Lily's sake, I'll put parentheses around work. Yeah, I mean, long story short, there are no guarantees in dog training. Uh, and I would argue that a lot of the times, even with a shot collar, there's still not any guarantee. So, yeah. He knows. <laughs> I agree. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, if a trainer is giving you a guarantee, I would maybe get a second opinion. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up our rant about guarantees and dog training. So we will take a break here. And when we get back, we will start talking about crates. Margarita check. How did you make your peach themed margarita? Um, it was a very happy accident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I had a whole recipe planned. But then I forgot to buy limes because I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, (laughs) So luckily, uh, I'm addicted to frozen lemonades at Sonic. (laughs) Okay. That's a good start. (laughs) So so I went uh, went to go buy frozen peaches and didn't get limes. But did treat myself to a frozen lemonade on the way home. And they're massive. They're like 44 ounces. They're giant. So I got home. I went to go make my margarita and realized I don't have limes. So I was like, well, that's not going to work because there's not really like a good substitute for that. (laughs) Um, And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to blend some peaches with tequila and throw it in my frozen lemonade. And I tell you what. (laughs) It is fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, so it's four ounces of tequila, a cup and a half of frozen peaches, a little bit of agave, not much because the lemonade is pretty sweet, and then lemonade slushy, And it's bomb. <laughs> so good. That's a very innovative situation that you've gotten yourself into. You know, I'm not mad about it. I'll do it again. You've just proven that you could, like, be in a survival situation. Like, whatever we need to make happen, (laughs) we're going to make it happen. (laughs) One way or another. I really thought that I was dead in the water when I realized there were no limes. But luckily, it worked out. Uh, Which is actually good because I don't think it would be good otherwise. Like, the peaches aren't very flavorful. I don't know if it's because they're frozen or what. Uh, How did you do yours? You always do crazy shit. Yeah, so (laughs) I really, I love peaches, so I was excited for this one, but I also, like, just, I landed in Seattle and then 12 hours later picked up three puppies, so, like, my life has just been a little bit busy. Oh, you landed from Seattle. I was like, wait, you got puppies in Seattle? Oh, no, I probably said it wrong. I'm already very drunk, like... Extremely. I texted Laura like three hours ago and was like, I'm starting now. (laughs) No, okay. I landed home from Seattle, then 12 hours later picked up three puppies. So it's just been busy. I haven't like prepared for the podcast at all. So three is like the most that you do at a time, right? Yeah. So two of them are staying for two weeks and then one is staying for four weeks. Um, so I figured oh, I can cool. do, yeah, I can do three for two weeks, definitely. I wouldn't have done it if they were all four. Oh, God. Can you imagine? 
I can't imagine. I have one six-month-old right now, and I want to die all of the time. So I can't imagine how you're doing three. No, the saving grace of, of puppies from eight to ten weeks is that they sleep most yes. of the day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Six <laughs> months, absolutely just... fucking not. No. Yeah. No. I want to die all of the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it hasn't been horrible, but it, it has been busy. So I just haven't. I didn't prepare. So I went to the store this morning and they didn't have fresh peaches. And um, so I got canned peaches and I muddled the canned peaches with some agave. And then I put in one juiced lime, half a juiced lemon, three ounces of tequila, one and a half ounces of triple sec. And then I shook all of that with ice and strained it and then put sugar on the rim. And it's actually really, really good. But I just kind of wish that I had made it like a little more bougie, like put real peaches in it, you know? I thought it was going to be bougie because the first word in the recipe is muddled. Uh, (laughs) I just looked and I was like, this fucking bitch. Uh, (laughs) You know, we bought a muddler for $8 like seven years ago. And so now I can sound bougie over all sorts of stupid shit. (laughs) I bought bought a muddler for, I think it was one of the Valentines. I did raspberries and I had to muddle them. Uh, and it does, it just feels bougie even when you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, why did you do lime and lemon? What's, what's that about? Um, so as I mentioned before, I started getting drunk a while ago and I was, <laughs> you ran out of lemons, didn't no, you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was making gin and tonics with lemon. And so I had mm-hmm. half a lemon cause I like only used half for a drink earlier. So it's like, well, I should finish up this lemon. And then I put it in my margarita. Okay. I like it. Yeah. It's it, I mean, it turns out lemon and peach is a jam. It's nice. And then, so usually what I do if I'm going to put something on the rim is I, I um, put like the lime juice around the rim and then I roll the glass in whatever. But today I put lemon juice around the rim and then rolled it in sugar. So it kind of tastes like lemonade around the rim. And then. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. It's yummy. I'm shocked that you put sugar on the rim, but, you know. I'm into it now. (laughs) I don't like it for the classic lime, um, but I like it for a lot of the flavored ones. Yeah, that's true. I put sugar on one of them, and I just remember I was, like, licking the rim of the glass all night. (laughs) It was good. Yeah, so what are, I don't, what are crates is a weird question to me. I don't. It makes me feel really existential, and I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't right now. I don't have the capacity. Well, how about um, this? How about this, Laura? Are crates a cage? <laughs> I can automatically <laughs> tell how people feel about crates based on what they call them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if you call them a cage or a box, I know you have a like internal bias. <laughs> yes. Yep. Every single time, I'm like, okay, here we are. And if you call them kennels, you have worked in the dog industry before. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually a good point. But yeah, I don't... So I put... The only way I could think to explain that without going down some philosophical bullshit was that crates are containment and management tools, uh, or what I generally say to my clients, because that doesn't mean anything to them, is that they're just a safe space for your dog. Uh, and that works both ways and that it's a space that is all their own, as well as a space that inhibits inhibits them from making poor choices when unsupervised. So it's safe for them and that they can go there if they're feeling upset. And it's safe for us and that it protects all of our shit. Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> so it keeps them and your stuff safe. And I know I used to do it, but I don't understand how people don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> like get it my, either. My parents won't use kennels uh, or cages, as you will. Uh, <laughs> Is that what they call them? I think so. Um, and I get yelled at, you just keep your dogs in cages all the time and it's not fair. But their dog also spent six months destroying their house until he quote unquote grew out of it. Pro tip, he hasn't grown out of it. He still pees in the house all the time. (laughs) So, I mean, I, that's the only thing I can think is like, you just live with the destruction until it hopefully stops one day. Like I'm not... Yeah, I so when we um, had our dog Boone, um, when he was a puppy, he was in the crate while we were out of the house. But then at some point, we started letting him have run of the house, and I don't remember how we did that. Like, I don't remember if we transitioned no, him. No, that, that makes sense, but to just never use a crate ever is what I'm saying. Like, That's I do true, that, yeah. I do that all the time, transitioning, and I tell clients that, too. I'm like, usually around, like, a year, I'll start testing it out, and some dogs can do it, and some dogs can't. It just depends. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, transitioning out, of course, I feel like everybody does that and that's fine. I'm not like saying that if you crate train your dog, they need to be in it for eight hours while you're at work or they need to use it for their whole lives. But it's a skill that they need to have. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I recommend crates as a general life skill just because even if you don't use crates at home, it's really difficult to get through your entire lifetime without ever having to go in one. I mean, if you go to the vet, you have to go in a kennel. If you go to the groomer, you have to go in a kennel. Like, at some point in your life, you're going to have to go into a kennel. Let's not make it traumatic. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like I said, I'm going to keep using, I'm going to keep throwing my parents under the bus just because I have a lot of examples. Um, but their dog, like I said, was not crate trained, destroyed their house until he was like six or nine months old. Now he's like 10 years old, but I finally convinced them to get him fixed when he was like five or six. My parents were like traumatized. And it's not my parents, really. It's my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're like traumatized because he came home from the vet and his the top of his nose was all like bloody and raw because he had to be in a kennel and he lost his fucking mind and kept like digging at it. And so then he came home with a bloody nose because he was freaking out in the kennel the whole time. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, no, he can't stay at the vet. La, 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 la. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) How much can we enable this fucking dog? (laughs) (laughs) He can't go to the vet now? Like, are are we kidding? But, yeah, I mean, there's videos all over the Internet of dogs at, like, grooming shops screaming in their kennel and stuff because they they don't have to go in whenever. And it's like at some point in your life you're going to have to go into a kennel. Even, like, if there's an emergency, like, evacuation or some sort of situation like that, uh, road trips, vacations, like, there's been uh, a couple Airbnbs that haven't allowed dogs or haven't allowed bully breeds, and I've messaged them and be like, listen, I'm a trainer, my dogs are all crate trained, they won't be left unattended, they will be in their kennels if they are, blah, 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 and that gets me in every time, (laughs) like... Not always with the bully breed people, but generally speaking, yeah, (laughs) it just allows you to do so much more with your dog. And again, I'm not saying that you need to use it for eight hours a day when you're gone. If your dog's fine when you're gone, I don't care. Like, (laughs) don't use it then. Yeah. But they need to be able to be kenneled. Like, yep. They're dogs. It's just, it's part of their life is management. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I did the outline today, which never happens. And um, I gave myself. I don't myself, do anything anymore. <laughs> I gave myself a bullet point that just says, here's some more reasons. But Laura kind of listed all of them. So I don't have any more reasons. But <laughs> one other instance that I can think of, just because I've had this experience several times, I used to do all sorts of things like daycare, dog walking, and boarding on Rover. And if people were like, oh, I have to go out of town this weekend and, you know, there's no boarding facility that has room. Can you please take my dog? I am not going to be home 24 hours a day and I'm not going to let your dog have free reign of my house. So if your dog isn't crate trained, I won't take them. And I think that that's true of a lot of boarders like that. And so if you're in that situation, it might really put you in a bind. Like if you have to find emergency care and your dog needs to be crate trained, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I think, like, I feel like a lot of the, like, negative feelings about kennels is that, like, oh, they're just locked in there all the time. I'm like, no, never shut the door for all I care. Like, what? I don't. <laughs> what do you, I mean, no one's saying that you have to put them in there for six hours minimum. Like, that's not the point. Right. It's, I don't, it's very strange to me. One of the reasons I was excited when you suggested crate training is because one of my clients, we just started crate training because uh, they adopted a dog a few months ago. Um, and she's been loose up until this point. But then she like chewed on the baseboard or something like that. So they were like, oh, OK, <laughs> here we go. And so we started crate training with them. But they posted on Facebook like, hey, she damaged our thing or whatever. We're going to start crate training. And this was on like Tuesday or whatever. They're like, oh, our trainer comes on Sunday. But just in the meantime, does anybody have any tips? I was reading through all the comments and I was just cracking up because there were so many people that were like, I don't like kennels. (laughs) Kennels are terrible. And her dad was like, yeah, but it's a brand new house and I I like my baseboards. Like, (laughs) what do you what? And then they'll pull out things like, well, just train your dog. That's what Yeah, no, literally. Yeah. They were like, oh, well, leave her with a bone or a Kong. And he was like, no, no, that day that she destroyed the baseboards, destroyed is strong. Uh, <laughs> but that day that she chewed a little bit on the baseboards, she had had a long walk. He had made sure to play with her. They were only gone a couple hours. It's not like they were gone all day. And she was exercised. She had the wobbler. She had her toys. Like, sh- they did everything right. <laughs> yeah. People are just blindly against it for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if your dog doesn't need one, great. Like, more power to you. So now that we've gone over what crates are, <laughs> which is not cages, um, and why you might use them, let's get into how to crate train a dog. So this is going to look different. I mean, it's going to look different depending on every dog because every dog is individual, like we always say. So you might need to hire a trainer, but it's going to look especially different depending on whether your dog has negative experiences with their crate in the past or not. So like if they have a neutral feeling about the crate or it's pretty new to them, then it's kind of straightforward. But if you have to change your dog's mind about the crate, it will be less straightforward. I have never crate trained a dog who felt weird about their crate. I've only crate trained dogs who had a neutral feeling about it. So that's what I am going to talk about because I don't have experience with the other kind. (laughs) Um, And then I think Laura has a lot of experience with the other kind. (laughs) So if your dog has no previous experience with the crate, then training, again, is pretty straightforward. I section it up into three parts, which are active training, passive training, and management. 
And they're all really intuitive. They're exactly what they sound like. So active training has a lot of different elements to it, but what it basically means is we're actively working on building positive associations with the crate, interacting directly with our dog in the crate. So playing games where the dog runs in and out, um, doing training where the dog gets treats for staying in the crate for longer and longer periods of time, teaching the dog to stay calm while you're, you're, you close the door of the crate, while you walk out of the room, and building on all of that. And then I also like to spend that time building value, value, excuse me, building value at the back of the crate so that they're not focused so much on the door. So I give treats like at the back of the crate and reinforce the dog for being back there and all that good stuff. And then passive training is also about building positive associations with the crate, but as it's called, it's passive. So this would be like leaving the crate door open in a room that the dog spends a lot of time in. And what I like to do is throw toys in the back of the crate that the dog will find when they walk in there. And they're allowed to bring the toys out and play with them. But as soon as they're done with the toy, I'll throw it back in the crate. So I'm building the idea that if they walk into the crate, then something awesome happens. And you can also sprinkle kibble or treats in there to find. And another form of passive training would be like feeding your dog's meals in the crate. And then finally, management. So management is going to be those times that you need to put the dog somewhere to keep them safe when they may not be acclimated to the crate yet. So ideally management is going to be one the one of the three things that's happening the least often. Like you wanna go heavy on active and passive training so you can be building as many positive experiences as possible because whether we like it or not, confining the dog and then leaving the room is a negative experience and there's no way around that. So until your dog is fully crate trained, make sure that management is taking up like the smallest piece of the pie. And then while I'm talking about all of this, I will just say that I currently... I crate train a lot of puppies, and right now I let them cry it out, which means if I put them in the crate while I do some work or take a shower or something, I don't take them back out of the crate until they're quiet. Um, However, it's seeming like that might be outdated advice, so I'm not going to hand that out and tell people to do that necessarily. Again, that's currently what I do because that's how I learned to do it, but I might be switching things up after I do more research, and I'll keep everyone updated if that happens. What's the alternative to not letting them... So the idea behind it is that they're over threshold, essentially. And what happens with my puppies on their first night here, they're always super distressed. And so I comfort them through the crate, um, which is not something that I do after they're here for a while and get more comfortable. But so I think that I can tell the difference when a dog is like crying out of distress or like demand barking at me. So I think I can find that nuance of like when it's okay to comfort them or let them out if they're like in distress and like truly can't be in a learning space because they're so freaked out and over threshold. But if my dog is demand barking at me, then I don't, I don't think that I would switch that up. But I'm, I mean, I need to do some more reading and see. That would be interesting. I don't think I, I think like once in my life, have I ever had a dog demand bark in a kennel? I think it's always like distress, but like, even if you let them out when they're distressed, they're still going to learn that they can flip out and still get out. <laughs> like, right? That's what I didn't understand about that bullet point. I was like, I mean, they're just going to be distressed every time they go in. And if they get out every time they're distressed. No, because you, well, just- you, can't, you can't reinforce like the distress itself, right? Like you can reinforce the behaviors that are happening in the distress. But it's just like, you know, when you're working with a reactive dog, if you accidentally put them over threshold and they're like barking at another dog, you turn and walk away, right? So like you still increase that distance, which is what they want, but you're not Oh, so you would just start over as far as getting them to go in the kennel and like upping the time the door is closed or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So it's not like we're done training. 
But it's not necessarily like let them cry it out every time. But again, I need to do a lot more reading on it. I can't speak intelligently on that yet. Currently, I never let them out if they're whining. Yeah, that's interesting to me. I don't know how you would distinguish that for them, not for us so much. But like, I don't, I've just always been, if they get out when they're whining, they're going to whine to get out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's what I've always been told too. So I'm interested. Yeah, that'll be interesting. More. Especially because, like I said, I don't think I've ever had a dog demand bark to get out of a kennel. That's not something I've ever seen. Oh, it happens with my puppies all the time. I can tell the difference. Like, when they're, like, stressed out crying, it's like they kind of do a little puppy howl. But, like, some of them just go, like, you know, like, they're like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, like Lily said, it's going to look after. Uh, different for every dog. My cr- my crate training, I have lost the ability to read. Uh, <laughs> my crate training is pretty situational and adjusts to the dog and the family's needs as well as like the schedule and stuff like that. So it definitely looks different for everybody. In a perfect world, which never usually happens, uh, if we have the time and the ability, I set up the crate to be super comfy leave it in a common room, leave the door wide open, free access, um, and then graduate to, and by graduate, I mean like after a couple days of them getting it used to it existing, graduate to luring them in by tossing a high value, keyword, tossing a high value treat in uh, and saying the verbal cue kennel, which doesn't mean anything to them at this point. And then as they go in, how did I write this? So saying the verbal cue kennel as they go in and then making sure to verbally reward them. I really did lose my ability to read. Uh, (laughs) Well, you wrote it very well. (laughs) Did I? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, luring them in by tossing in a high value treat and saying the verbal cue kennel as they go in and then making sure to verbally reward them as well when they get important all four feet in because a lot of the times dogs will lean in like most dogs can reach the back even not putting all four feet in yeah that doesn't count uh and the timeline will look different for every dog depending on their level of aversion to the kennel once they're consistently and comfortably retrieving treats from inside preferably from the back of the kennel um, then we can graduate to giving them the verbal kennel cue because they've learned it in that first part and treating them once all four feet are inside. So instead of tossing the treat and saying, kennel, they go get the treat, you say, kennel, they go in, and then you hand them the treat uh, along with your verbal <clears throat> your verbal reward. And then from there, I'll graduate to feeding them their meals inside the kennel. I usually am lazy and just put their meal in the front of the kennel. Most dogs will go in to eat if your dog's a dick and just stands outside of the kennel and eats... <laughs> Then I'll move it to the back, but generally I don't have that experience because by that step, they're usually pretty comfortable. When I was um, feeding Mooney in the crate, like you you told me to do that with him when I first got him, and I asked him to go in the crate first, and then I would put his food in with him. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't think about these things. Uh <laughs> But from there, I start feeding them their meals in the kennel with the door open is an important part of that. And then after they're eating in there regularly and have pretty much no aversion left, then we graduate to giving them like a higher value, longer term treat or chew, like a Kong or an antler or something like that. And then closing the door in small segments. So for me, 
my small segments are a lot different than other people's small segments. Uh, when I say small segment, I mean like 30 minutes to an hour. Most other people's small segments are like five minutes. And I'm like, fuck you, five minutes. I cannot. <laughs> no, no. And then from those small segments, then graduating to leaving the house for small segments. Um, my client, Chloe, that I told you about, that they just started kennel training, um, they've started putting her in there for 30 minutes at a time. And not like a strict rule, but just like they put her in there when they're home for a little bit and then they'll let her out. They did that for a few days and then they went to the grocery store for the first time. <laughs> just little stuff like that. You're not just going to dinner and a movie for four hours right away, right? Yeah. And then my number one rule that I tell everyone, <laughs> which Lily has already talked about, is that you never release them from the kennel if they're throwing a fit. I have a lot of structure around the kennel. Um, they have to go in on command. They have to do a sit-stay and get a release cue in order to exit the kennel. And one of those rules is that you never get let out if you're making noise. Because the only hard and fast rule of my house is to be fucking quiet. Uh, <laughs> You can eat people, you can eat other animals, that's fine, <laughs> but you will be fucking quiet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> We're all fine here. <laughs> so yeah, generally, I mean, if you do all that groundwork and you have that structure surrounding the kennel, it's pretty uncommon that they're throwing fits in there. If so, you probably skipped a step or moved too fast or something like that. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't come up often, but like my dog Noble is an asshole and <laughs> he barks whenever I get home. So I just make a point to not go into his room. His kennel is in his own room. I make a point not to go into his room until he's stopped barking. Real talk. I do usually yell, shut the fuck up, but <laughs> I would never tell somebody to do that. <laughs> Has that decreased it at all? Like, does he bark for less and less, you know? It's completely, uh, I guess, unquantifiable uh, because he's not he's not always, I mean, my rotation's different every day. So they're not always the first ones to come out when I get home. Gotcha. So it's not like a real thing that we practice. It's just like if he is going to be the first one, I don't go in there until he stops yelling. But does it decrease his barking? Nothing decreases his barking. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I guess we're not truly working on it, but it's still a rule. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so if your dog is averse to the kennel, then obviously things do get more complicated. And, again, I'm going to be annoying and saying and say that it's hard to tell you what to do because, again, the individual dog kind of dictates that. Um, obviously, a lot of dogs are averse to the kennel, but every dog is averse to the kennel in their own special way. <laughs> right. And for different reasons, like it could yeah. be the confinement or it could be the separation or whatever. Yeah. And it's it cracks me up because people are like, oh, she hates the kennel. I think somebody kept her in there. And I'm like, no, man. <laughs> she just doesn't know what a kennel is. <laughs> yeah. I would also Nobody, hate the kennel. <laughs> yeah. Like she's never seen one and she's fearful of life. So, yeah. And nobody, nobody kept her in a kennel. It, she would be better in a kennel if someone had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a foster that was legitimately kept in a kennel, like, 20 plus hours a day. Uh, and he was fucking great in the kennel. <laughs> it 
It's awesome. So yeah, I mean, abuse is not the reason that your dog hates the kennel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be fair, it could be if the crate was used as punishment. Right. Uh, like they got thrown in there every time they did something wrong. Then yeah, that could create it. But yeah, if, you if there were was kept- like a neglect situation where a dog was kept in the kennel all day long, then they have definitely shut down their responses to the kennel. So if they're having a response yeah. in the kennel, they likely were not kept in there very often. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But yeah, so it's impossible to kind of say what to do specific, like generally, and I couldn't possibly go into every single scenario, but I'll try to keep it simple. And the simplest way I can phrase it, and hopefully you guys can generalize this, (laughs) um, but whatever point that they panic at, that's where you stop and go back to the step before. So if you can lure them in, they learn the cue, but the second you close the door, they lose their fucking marbles, then we need to go back to spending more elongated time in there with the door open, if that makes sense. And then... So, can I ask a question there? Yep. So, in a training scenario, like if you're doing crate training, and you close the door and they panic, do you wait for them to quiet before you open it in that situation? Yes. So, generally, though, in that situation, they're not usually, like, barking at that point. They're usually just, like, they'll start, like, panting or, like, (sighs) and so, like, that I will open the door for, but they're still not allowed to charge out. Okay, so let's define panic then, because that's a question I bet a lot of people would have. So, like, it's not just, like, barking or crying. Like, panting, pawing at the door, stuff like that. Like, just clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's still the same rule as that I'm, like, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm, okay, so I am going to let them out, but I'm going to make them do a sit-stay while the door opens. They're not just charging out. Okay. Um, Whereas if they are barking... I'm not even going to open the door until they stop. Um, But if they're not barking, uh, then I will try to ask them to sit and then start to open the door. But if they try to charge out, I close it again. So, yeah, whatever point that they're losing it at. I mean, if they're losing it, that just tells us that you've moved too fast or they're not ready for that, whatever the new step is, right? And so going back is the obvious answer. It's not necessarily the answer we want because crate training takes fucking forever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the problem that I run into the most often is that the first step of luring them into the kennel, because, again, they've never seen a kennel or if they have, they've probably had a bad experience of like when they got neutered, they got put in a kennel the one and only time they've ever seen one. And so now they hate kennel. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the most common thing I see is that they won't go in at all, even if you're throwing chicken in the back, right? So my favorite thing that clients say to me is that uh, their dogs will not go in there for anything. <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter what I put in there. They they won't go in. And people just really don't understand high value. Like, yeah, boiled chicken is generally very high value. But like the new puppy I have could give a shit about chicken and only like steak. So fuck me. (laughs) So when we talk about how high value, you need to really, I mean, every dog's high value is different. Chicken is like the universal high value. In the shelter system, hot dogs are the universal high value. My dogs don't give a shit about hot dogs. They're spoiled little dicks. But your normal treats are never going to be high value unless you have a super food motivated dog that isn't averse to the kennel, in which case that's not who we're talking about. Right. (laughs) But it's just the simple fact of they're your normal treats. That's what they get all the time. So it's not special. It's not exciting. I have a client that crate trained her dog with pizza because that was all he would respond to. (laughs) And while I don't endorse that, (laughs) at least she got the point, right? Right. So if a dog is averse to the kennel, we're dealing with generally like straight meat. 
I'll use lunch meat. I'll use cubes of chicken. Uh, I'll use steak. Uh, <laughs> I literally one little piece of steak cured this stupid puppy of his kennel aversion, and I was so annoyed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, boil yourself some chicken. Buy some freeze dried whatever at the pet store. But generally, for most dogs, not all dogs, because I know Karen is gonna message me and be like, "My dog loves watermelon." <laughs> Uh, most dogs, meat is going to be the most high value thing because we feed them processed shit that doesn't have any meat in it. I'm crabby today. <laughs> Honestly, couldn't uh, tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> or also, alternatively, if your dog is not food motivated, or I shouldn't say it like that, sorry. I wrote it correctly. I didn't say it correctly. All dogs are food motivated. If your dog is more toy motivated, you will have to just determine what your most high-value toy is and then use that uh, instead. But you would use it the same way and that you would throw the high-value toy in the back of the kennel and then do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And ideally, you would only use that toy for the kennel training. Uh, they wouldn't have access to it otherwise, other than, like, obviously when you're done, they could play with it for a little bit or whatever. But And then if that doesn't work, I would also just say give it time. If I put a high-value treat in there and they won't go in after it, one, what I'm using is not high-value enough. But then there's a couple different options that you can do from there. So usually at my house, uh, I'll try different things. Like if they don't like the chicken, I'll try steak. If they don't like the steak, I'll try something else. But then I also, too, like, hey, your breakfast is in there. If you want to eat breakfast, I'm not moving it. <laughs> so if they refuse to go in, then they don't get their meal. And I know that sounds mean, but I promise you they won't starve to death. <laughs> yeah, they'll go they, in before they starve. Yeah, they have full access to their meal. Um, one thing that I don't do anymore, but that uh, the trainer that trained me did, and I've never really tried it or had it really work, but if you have a more food-motivated dog, he would put, like, chicken in the kennel and then lock them out of the kennel. So they yeah. would be, like, going around the kennel trying to get in. And then he'd finally open the door and they'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, um, I watched this video that I thought was so interesting. I haven't tried it yet, but there was a guy um, who did something really similar. It wasn't quite the same thing, but he like threw something high value into the kennel and then he held the dog by the harness and like built frustration in the harness and then let it go. And then it like ran into the kennel and was so excited. Yeah. Um, I like that. I just usually... I feel like most dogs aren't necessarily going to be trying to get in, especially if they're not that motivated. And yeah. I usually, my usual like issue dogs are the ones that aren't very motivated. So I'm not sure that that would work. And I'm sure Danny would argue with me and tell me why it would work, but I still, Danny's not with me. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Danny's also magic. Like he just he communicates is, differently. Dude, I don't understand. A little ass. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to troubleshoot it, but I promise you it's possible. The other thing I wanted to mention is the different kinds of kennels. Um, so I think that one of the other things that I hear the most is, oh, my dog broke out of every kennel. No, your dog broke out of two of the most common basic kennels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if your dog broke out of a black wire kennel, that is the easiest kennel to break out of. End of story. 
anybody could break out of that thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it is what it is. It's little tiny wire bars. Like you get a big dog, they could just bite right through it. Or the travel kennels, which are pressure mounted doors that are pretty easy to break off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, a dog can get through this. So the other option too, and you still have to do all the same work. I'm not saying go get an empire and just shove your dog into it. But Empire Kennels certainly help. <laughs> yeah. Um, because 90% of the time, we don't have all the time in the world. We can't stay home endlessly for weeks on end while we work through it. At the end of the day, we have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so in those situations, the Empire crates are really useful. Uh, don't get me wrong. They're also like $600. So <laughs> not attainable for most people. But if you're lucky enough that it is... They're super helpful uh, because also, too, in my experience, and again, not condoning this, you should still do all the work, but because they can't get out, they kind of give up, honestly. <laughs> I have never, not never, I've had maybe one dog try to break out, and he tried for about a minute and a half and gave up immediately. <laughs> he was like, oh, there's no way. <laughs> this is impossible. Not to say they won't still throw a fit and scream, but. <laughs> but they're at least safe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you have a like serious case where you have serious separation anxiety, you're working on it, but the reality is you have to go to work tomorrow, um, then I do recommend finding a way to, to try to get the empire or depending on the dog, you might be able to get away with one of the imitation empires that are a little bit cheaper. Again, I can't stress enough, you still have to do the work. <laughs> But it will help you buy some time, even though uh, behaviorally, that is not the best option. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. the reality of dogs living in our world is that we don't always behaviorally get to make the best options. So, um, yeah, shit hits the fan, get an empire. <laughs> and then the last thing I, that I wanted to address about crate training was the phrase, never use the crate as a punishment. I absolutely agree with that statement. But I think that there's some nuance there that doesn't get addressed. So when we talk about punishments in dog training, what we're talking about is doing something that will make the dog want to decrease their behavior. And in order to decrease the behavior, the punishment we use would need to be a bad experience for the dog. So in my mind, using a crate as punishment is like your dog does something that you don't like and you like yell at it and drag it to the crate by the collar and kind of shove it in or whatever. Like that's kind of how I imagine using the crate as a punishment. That's how it appears in my mind. And of course we don't want to do that because that will create a negative association with the crate. However, I often use the crate when my dogs are overtired or overstimulated and they're getting rowdy and unmanageable. Um, and it's a great place for them to calm down and get their shit together. And when I say that, a lot of people respond like, well, I was taught not to use the crate as punishment, but there's an important difference here because I'm not creating a negative association with the crate when I do this. It's just management and it stops the dog from doing destructive or just annoying things, but they're not being punished. And ideally, I mean, I don't think that they feel punished when I do that. I think they just feel like <sighs> I have to settle down my crate. <laughs> Um, why wouldn't you, like, let them go outside and just run? So why would for you my use puppies, a in that situation? For my puppies, a lot of the time, if they're crazy, they're overtired. 
So oh, they don't, okay. yeah, they don't need to like run it out. They like need to sleep, but they're too stimulated to do so. <laughs> I don't have that problem with my older dogs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, um, but yeah, with my puppies. I, I don't ever deal time. with eight week old puppies, so I don't know about all that. Yeah. I just it's usually six month old shitheads. It's usually after dinner and before bedtime. Sometime in there, they just get this like they need to take a nap, but they think that they don't. <laughs> and they just start biting your face and being annoying. Um, yeah, so I do always tell people to not to use the, the kennel as punishment. Um, but I do. So I usually explain to people, you can't use it as punishment. So if they, if you're trying to sit down and watch a movie and they're being nuts, you can't put them in there for being nuts is usually what I say. <laughs> Sorry, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can be preventative and say, hey, I want to sit down and watch a movie and not fuck with you. So here's something to go do in your kennel. Not the same situation that Lily's talking about, really, but just similar, I guess. So, yeah, I use it preventatively of like, hey, I'm not going to mess with you for the next half an hour. Then I can put them in there with a Kong or something like that. Um, But I can't sit down to watch a movie and then get pissed off that they're bothering me. (laughs) Uh, Because that was just poor planning on my part, right? So, yeah, I mean, the kennel is not punishment, um, but there are caveats to that, like Lily said. Yeah. And I feel like, so even though that advice that you gave is good and I agree with it, like you should be more proactive than reactive, you know, in that situation. But I would still consider it if you did respond to your dog's craziness by putting them in the crate, I still wouldn't consider that to be a punishment necessarily. Like, I don't think it would feel punishing to the dog any more than being proactive about it, but... That's probably not a conversation we need to have, I guess, but... um. Well, I just feel like, uh, generally speaking, and again, not for, you know, eight-week-old puppies, but generally speaking, for a normal adult dog, if they're being crazy, it's because they haven't gotten their needs met that day, right? Right, So, in that regard, it's probably not the best idea to go put them in the kennel and let them... No, no, I definitely agree. Like, I don't disagree with your advice. I just don't think it's what people mean when they say don't use the crate as a punishment, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when people say don't use the crate as a punishment, I think of it as being, like, don't create a negative association with the crate. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients that, like, their dog pees on the floor and they put them in the kennel. Right. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> you, no. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But absolutely, if you have a dog who's going nuts, who's um, past puberty, then the crate is not the answer. A nap is not the answer, most likely. That's funny. Past puberty. <laughs> Um, So that is our episode about crate training. We are going to take a break here, and when we get back, we are going to have a new-ish segment. Final margarita check. My margarita's gone, and I liked it a lot. Um, my margarita is also almost gone. It's a very pleasing color. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. I got, I got worried that it wouldn't be orange, but it is. And it's a delight. I think the only bad thing I have to say about this is I am very neurotic about, uh, texture. And there are tiny little bits of peach. And that's a little hard for me to get through. <laughs> I mean, it's blended. Like, it's pureed. But there's little specks of, like, 
peach. Hmm. Do you and think that you could blend like it that. longer and solve it? Or do you think that's just no. how it'll be? No, it's just how it is. They're very minuscule pieces. <laughs> it's it's just me. <laughs> You're just neurotic. <laughs> yep, yep. It's fine. So a while back when we were talking about about Belgian mouse, we had a segment that we ended up calling Laura Laura Pants on Fire, <laughs> where you were like, I was kind of wrong, but not really though. And <laughs> I stand I would by like, it. <laughs> I would like to claim this segment as Lily Lily Pants on Fire for this episode where I do the same thing where I was kind of wrong, but not really though. So <laughs> I was about to say I'm going to lose my force free crown for real now, but as we discussed last time, labels are stupid and I can call myself whatever I want. And I'm claiming claiming a new label, which is just dog trainer. So there it is. I'm a dog trainer. <laughs> so what I want to talk about today is tools. And we kind of went over this in our last episode, or was it? Yeah, I think our last episode, um, where my met- my uh, ethics around methods of dog training have been reframed, not necessarily changed, but reframed. And one key aspect of that, which I did not address, was the use of tools. I still don't use tools, and I don't think I ever will, but when um, I see one, Yes. You use tools. A leash and a but collar we all know are what, tools. what we're talking about, though. Treat bags are tools. We know what we're talking about here. I think you mean aversives. Aversive tools. Laura. <laughs> I mean, tools. Eh, your attention everything. is a tool. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what you sound like. I really wish that you would have just said, you're a tool. You're a tool. Oh, that would have been so much better. God damn it. We could have kept it in. You're a tool. <laughs> I'm going to keep it in. You're going to edit it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. I still do not use aversive tools. Thank you. And I don't think I will start. But. When I see one on a dog, I'm not adam- automatically, like, throwing a fit about it anymore. She, she doesn't want to burn it with fire. Eh. Um, <laughs> and I can't even tell you exactly why, except to say that there are a lot of, like, competent trainers who I admire and appreciate who occasionally use tools. So that's where I'm at. I'm no longer seeing a prong collar and being like, ah. However, so this is where I was kind of wrong, but not really. But um, not. I have yet to hear an acceptable reason for using those kinds of tools beyond just management. So like you said, you know, I think you've said it a few times, like sometimes you put a prong or leave a prong on a dog whose owners just can't physically handle the dog, which is a form of management. And you're not really using that tool to shape the behavior through punishment. And I can't see a reason that a tool like that would need to be used to teach. And I'm not necessarily saying that there is no reason Maybe there is, but nobody has explained it to me. And beyond that, I think that balance trainers spend way too much time trying to convince everyone that prongs are just pressure or shot collars are just like tens units. And it's really not helping anyone learn because that's a fucking lie. It's just a lie. And I don't want you to lie to me. Just like, tell me what you're doing. Tell me how you're using it to teach and be straightforward with me and tell me why you feel like you need to use that discomfort in order to teach the dog. And I probably won't agree with you, but I might. And we'll never know if you keep fucking lying to me about it. So there so, it is. Lo- long story short <laughs> is she's still really mad about aversives, <laughs> but less so. 
Yeah, so I kind of, but not really, need to own up to my big, big feelings about aversive tools. She still has plenty of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. Laura didn't write anything down, so anything she says now is just going to be winging it. (laughs) I don't, um, I mean, I said my piece. Tools are tools, man. Uh, (laughs) Your treat pouch is a tool. You're a tool! Um, There it is. (laughs) I don't have a lot to say on that matter, because I've always not hated tools. Uh, (laughs) um, I kind of expected you to, like, write a whole diatribe giving me shit or something, but you didn't write anything down. No. I'm far too depressed to care that much. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) That's nice. Um, I was going to look back at our text conversation, though, because I did get a lot of joy uh, in pulling a lily on Lily, because when I try to rant about things, she just throws logic at me sometimes, and it makes me so mad. Uh, (laughs) And then other times when I try to talk about stuff, she just corrects me the whole time, and it also drives me nuts. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so... Uh (laughs) You need to point that out to me because, like, all that comes to my mind is I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to rant about this girl who ran up to us. And you're like, well, that never happens to me because I don't do that. (laughs) I use management. (laughs) It's who we are as people, okay? (laughs) But it was really great because she texted me. Uh, about a client, not one of her clients. I, well, I guess it was an old client or whatever. Ex-client, yeah. Yeah. Just from uh, Washington. That- I, I said ex-client like it was like we broke up, but no. <laughs> they just <laughs> live in a different state. I fired him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a prong collar. It's one of the Starmark plastic collars, right? Starmark, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, so they're like bullshit fake prongs and I hate them, but. We couldn't um, remember the name of them in our equipment episode, but Starmark. Yeah, because I've always called them correction collars, but that's not what they're called. Starmark is just the brand that makes them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what the fuck they're called, besides pieces of fucking garbage. But so she messaged me saying that she, her ex-client was using one, and she didn't hate it, and blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> her words to me were, it's not a corrective tool for them. And I got to pull the that's impossible <laughs> card on her uh, because I feel like when I talk about aversives, she's like, no, no, let's get this straight. <laughs> They're aversive. Uh, and I finally got to do it to her and it was very exciting. <laughs> I mean, I really we, can, it. we can rehash that conversation if you want. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, unless he never applies pressure and therefore does not need it. It's a correction. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Leave me alone. It made sense when he said I it. I hate you. <laughs> um, Maybe I was bamboozled. I don't know. I was bamboozled. A man with kind eyes who gave me wine told me that it wasn't a corrective tool. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I am assuming what he means by that, and I'm I'm sure I've said it too about the way that I use prongs, uh, is that he just doesn't pop it. Which, I mean, thank God, because you don't. <laughs> but I mean, any pressure at all when spikes are going into your neck is a correction. So... 
Anyways. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm going to find the episode and quote you back to you. Why don't you I'm just ne- do I'm that never, then? I'm never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I literally could not care less. But yeah, really, it, it fueled my force-free vendetta to have that conversation. <laughs> I think what I said at the time was he was like not attempting to shape behavior through punishment. Okay, but that doesn't change that it's a correction. But isn't that what a correction is? Like a punishment to shape behavior? I feel like plastic stabbing you in the neck is a correction. Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, I, I could just, be wrong. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I mean, if you're not using it to shape behavior, then why do you need it? For management and control, like you said. But that's a correction. Back at you. Is it? If so, like, is it if they aren't every- like, like, is he using it for reactivity or pulling? No, um, just for communication through the leash, in general. I don't know what that means. I don't really either. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like when your dog, if you're walking your dog on a flat collar and they hit the end of the leash, is that a correction? Um, no, because nothing is digging into their neck. The leash. I mean, it chokes. Actually, them, right? yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a correction. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least you're consistent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to think about that. But yeah, you're right. It's a, still a correction. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're applying pressure. and Well, they're applying pressure, but still. Right. Uh, All I can tell you is that I drank a bottle of wine. I mean, and- no one's happier than me <laughs> that you're coming over to the dark side. I'm not uh. going anywhere. <laughs> I just... Not with you. He also made me fish tacos. Like, there was just a lot of... Does Scott know about that? <laughs> he, d- he does. We were also with his wife. So, um. anyway, yeah. I'm just saying he talked now fancy at me and, I, and, and then I felt okay about it. That's all. And, That's all. And then you were enamored. So much like me, if a cute boy explains things, it gets better. Uh, if there's tacos and wine. <laughs> <gasps> that's funny um i don't even know why we were talking about this oh because your pants on fire got it yeah uh, <laughs> and that's what i was expecting how did when we I, get here <laughs> when i wrote the segment i was expecting you to bring that up i was expecting you to like write a whole thing about it like lily walked a dog on a plastic prong collar can we stop calling it a prong it's not a prong it's a piece of shit um but isn't it a prong collar that's made of plastic I don't understand how it would be because they're plastic triangles. It's not like the same prongs, but plastic. They're little oh. fucking stabby triangles. Got um, it. But the idea is like the same, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, the premise is the same, I would imagine. I've Do never, the people like, who use them it. fool themselves into thinking that it's different? <laughs> in, in my experience, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense then. Uh, I think that's how I started calling them correction callers is because I think that's what the positive trainers that were giving them to everybody (laughs) were calling them. Yeah, and it doesn't look as scary. And I mean, it's ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the premise is the same for sure. And it's just like the I just refuse to acknowledge them. That I still don't. I don't want to research it, but I want to know what the fuck that's even about. That's my favorite thing that anybody has ever said it's to so me. So weird. I'm it's like, so yeah, I, there's a lot of things that dogs do to each other that I'm never going to do to my dog. Like, <laughs> did I already? I don't know. As soon as you, 
<laughs> as soon as you started talking about that, it reminded me of Tom Davis. Because the more I follow him, the more I'm like, you're a little bit of an idiot. I still <laughs> like you, but <laughs> you're, you're a little bit of an idiot. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, Lily's a liar. Uh, I'm always right. What else? <laughs> Except for the first what segment else? when this was Lara Lara pants on fire. L- that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think that about wraps it up. Our 23rd episode is ready to be let out of the kennel. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Miss Dogs or on my website, MissLilliesDogs.com or my online training platform, Patreon.com slash Dogs. You can find me on Instagram at PropperPuppersLV and my website, PropperPuppersLV.com. In our next episode, which we should probably just stop saying this because it seems to be wrong more often than not now. (laughs) In our next episode, we'll be drinking something and talking about something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What she said. Uh, In theory, I know I've said this before and it was a lie, but in theory, our next episode, we will be drinking marijuanas and (laughs) talking about one of my favorite tools, the muzzle. Next time on the Doggeritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us.